thanks to Go Sleeves for its continued support of our podcasts. Go Sleeves are the only two-in-one sleeves that combine the power of kinesiology tape with compression sleeves. For $25 off your first order of any sleeves, use code AMR25 at GoSleeves.com. This episode is sponsored by Hydro, a state-of-the-art at-home rowing machine that delivers the ultimate full-body workout. To save up to $500 off your Hydro today, go to Hydro.com and use code AMR at checkout. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Amanda Loudon. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? It goes very well. I'm fresh off a trip to Austin, Texas for the running event trade show, which is very enjoyable. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of like running intensive time. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. So I've been to this trade show a whole bunch of times. And this was by far the biggest in terms of the most number of exhibitors and the most number of attendees. It was significantly bigger in every sense than it has been in the past, which is good for our beloved sport of running. For sure. For sure. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple things that I noticed. First of all, like every dink in their dog is making a running shoe. I don't understand how that works. I am not going to name names. <laughs> and yet, can I say that I can't find the perfect shoe right now? <laughs> water, water everywhere, but not a drop to right. drink. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I know this is true. Like we've never had an era where there were so many brands, so many different varieties of every brand. I mean, it's it's mind boggling. I just don't understand, particularly because this isn't something... It's not like I decide that I'm going to make earrings. And yes, there's a lot of earring makers out there. And so that, you know, I make 20 pairs of earrings while I'm, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. And then I go to some maker's fair and sell them. Like, there's a whole lot of control. There's not a lot of time and distance involved in that scenario. Running shoes are not the same thing. There is the designing them, getting designers, then having those designers design them then finding a factory to make them, then shipping them across the Pacific Ocean to stores that you have had to convince to bring them in. And i it's so many hurdles. To me, it's just, I mean, it's like a track that has a hurdle every four feet and you have to clear every single one of them to get to the finish line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> I just don't get it. And you know, you've been to your fair share of trade shows and you go there and you, and you think all this stuff's available. And then it's like, oh no, so much of this stuff never sees the light of day or never, or is only sold online. And so how am, as a consumer, how am I supposed to be able to find that? Like, I'm sure the perfect shoe for you exists, Amanda, but, right. uh, but how are you supposed to find it? Right. Right. It's too much weeding through. And I, I mean, I, I go through and I read reviews and I'm trying to find a certain profile and this, that, and the other, but it's, it's overwhelming. And then mm-hmm. if you go to a shoe store and I want to support my local shoe store, but they have their own thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. and it, like I, I've been running for a long time. I know what I want and I, you know, but yeah. And also what I didn't realize, uh, that, and this was very naive on my part, given how long I've been in the shoe industry from my days at Shape Magazine writing their athletic shoe review is that larger brands, which will go unnamed, 
can demand that a store bring in X number of styles. And I'm sure that there's, I'm not saying the lingo right and what those minimums are and all that stuff, but that, so it's not, you know, let's say Joe owns a running store and Joe wants to bring in some of these smaller brands, but Joe only has 20 spots to showcase shoes and some large brand has said, well, you need to bring in 10 of ours. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So even if Joe really gets excited about the ones that he saw at TRE, there's no space on the wall for those. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was very eye-opening and um, interesting and thought-provoking for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but loads of fun stuff coming out, amazing hydration vests, which I know are big interest to our gals. And I was really excited by some of those. And one is a cross body bag that is a hydration pack. And I was like, wow. Oh, interesting. Like, like, and I, I have not gotten on board the cross body thing just for no reason other than probably that I'm a cheapskate. So I haven't bought one, you know, just to wear around as a lifestyle piece. And right. I was like, wow. And now it's in the athletic world. But then the other day I was thinking, oh, that would be helpful if I ever ran to where I wanted to swim. I could just Mm. put my goggles and cap in there and, you know, go. Absolutely. That's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 Oh, and I was on the lookout. I did not typically see a couple, you know, celeb professional runners and I did not see anybody just walking around. I visited Alicia Montano at the and mother booth and nice. I just I love her she's, so much. Yeah, she's she great. just radiates the most positive energy. Just I'm getting teary thinking about how much I adore her. Like she just is is fabulous and she and I just had such a good time talking and yeah, really really fun. So I'm hoping maybe we'll get to do something I don't know in the coming months or year or whatever, but that be cool. It was, yes, it was very very wonderful to see her. Nice. And I saw you went swimming at Barton Springs with uh, Lisa. Yes. uh, Another industry person that we know. And Barton Springs is truly my idea of heaven on earth. Oh, it it really is perfect. Yeah. So for the people who don't know what Barton Springs is, it is as if a river and a swimming pool had a baby. And (laughs) (laughs) it is a natural body of water, though, has been dammed somewhat at both ends. It's quite wide. It is the most exquisite aquamarine, teal, blue, green, blue color because it's definitely blue. It's not green, but it yeah. is. And oh my goodness. And there's large fish in it at the deepest part. And I love looking at the fish. Like yes. sometimes going over them, I'm like, I'm only going to breathe every eight strokes so I can really look at the fish. <laughs> <laughs> And it stays at a constant, what is it, 68 degrees? 65 to 70 degrees year round. Yeah. And I got to tell you, folks, that sounds like that might be chilly. Oh, no, it's not. Mm. It is. It's perfect. I, I wish it was. It is perfect. I mean, it could be a tad bit chillier almost that I think. Yeah. Oh, goodness. And so, and, you know, but by Texas standards, that's cold. So it's so underutilized in the winter months. Yeah. So, you know, you can swim, 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 and barely see anyone else. Yeah. It's just awesome. Yeah. And everybody's got their own story there that, you know, there are people who swim with their heads up the whole time, you know, and just breaststroke with their face out of the water the whole time. And that's awesome. You know? (laughs) Right, right, right. 
I remember being there with my kids when they were much younger and like they, like you, the <laughs> fish was what fascinated them being able to look down yeah, and see the yeah. fish, you know? <laughs> so yeah. It is great. And it's open from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. That's perfect. Yes. So uh, I do hear that on full moon nights, it's very crowded. Oh, that'd be so cool. Oh my gosh. So now I daydream about living in Austin, like for the month of January. Some uh, year. It's not it's not gonna happen in a month, but but some January. That's my goal. I'll be your roommate. Okay, very good. <laughs> Airbnb. Hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> I am in. Oh my goodness. Well, today's guest is someone that you suggested when we saw each other when you were out here for mm-hmm. a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that sounds like a topic and an expert that we want to have on here. So with no further ado, it is Chris Johnson, a Seattle-based physical therapist, performance coach, and an Ironman triathlete who has qualified for Kona numerous times. On his website, Chris writes, if you are novice or world-class, my goal is to give you practical and actionable info to help you improve. We love that mindset. And as I said, you recommended Chris as a guest to talk about a variety of factors, including the effect of stress on runners. So that is going to be the focus of our conversation with Chris, but we will certainly touch on other topics as well. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. Good. So tell us a bit about your athletic background. Oh, geez. Where do we start? Ever since I came out of the womb, I have been dabbling in sport. Uh I literally played everything under the sun. But when I first got started, I'm going to let you in on something. And I was trying to part with this for professional purposes. But my nickname used to be Critter because I was sort of this (laughs) very fast, agile kid. So my name went from Christopher (laughs) to Critterfer to Critter. (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't tell too many people that but i spilled the beans <laughs> there goes my uh my street cred <laughs> no i grew up in western pennsylvania and we would just play all day long from the time we got up mm-hmm. till the time we went to sleep so i was dabbling in everything you know in terms of multi-sport mm. i was skateboarding a lot i was rollerblading i was bmxing mm on top of playing soccer, baseball, tennis, lacrosse, street hockey. And, you know, I look back and I am just so thankful and fortunate that that was my childhood because in light of the professional work I do, that really fortified my musculoskeletal system, especially my skeletal system. Mm. But I got into trouble from out throwing my body when I was younger. So Most people don't realize that my background was really in pitching baseball and Mm. I was left-handed and I was throwing very fast at a young age. And that's when I started developing some shoulder problems. And that's in hindsight, probably what really began my journey into the realm of physical therapy. Mm. Um, Just because I connected with an incredible therapist who really took an an active interest in me, uh, not only as an athlete, but as a person. And I just, I was fascinated with the whole process, but tennis was a sport I competed in. Once I got to my senior year of high school, I did start to niche down or specialize a little bit more, mm-hmm. played uh, collegiate tennis and ended up with a couple shoulder injuries and a knee injury in particular that really, you know, got me thinking this is not sustainable long-term. Mm. Um, but it was running that always gave me a huge advantage in a lot of these sports, especially tennis and soccer. And nowadays, I just sort of dabble in multi-sport, being swim, bike, run. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, just swim bike run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just dabbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're pretty well, good. I'm Chris. a washed up masters <laughs> athlete now, <laughs> so, but it's all fun, and mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate to have sort of fused all of this stuff in terms of my interest in sport and athletics, as well as rehabbing people who you know have landed themselves in the, in the trouble in terms of pain or injury and sort of migrating them out of the medical system and really helping them regain confidence in their body, um, mm. which is a, a big challenge a lot of the times. Most definitely. So because I've known you for a few years, I know a little bit about your professional background and you kind of told us a little bit about your inspiration. Obviously, we know you're a PT, but talk to us a little bit about how you became what I consider one of the best running PTs in the country. I mean, how did you become so specialized in helping folks in endurance sports? Well, I'll start by saying that I was terrible at it. Talk about imposter syndrome, but I got really frustrated because I was trained very well from an orthopedic standpoint, thanks to going through University of Delaware's program and falling under the auspices of Lynn Snyder Mackler and Dr. Axe. But when I got up to New York and I was working, I spent the first part of my career at the Nicholas Institute of Sports Medicine. I would get some runners that would come in and because they knew that I I ran, that they had a little bit more trust in me, but I would not help them to the extent that I would be able to help these individuals now. And I think out of that frustration, I really started trying to zoom in on what are the performance demands of running? What are the patterns that we're seeing in terms of injuries and complaints? And really just trying to take a deep dive on that and making a lot of mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. But when I got out into my own practice, which was about eight to nine years after being at NISMAT, is when I really started to just get a lot of reps under my belt where I was seeing predominantly runners and triathletes. And that's when things started to really come together. And my understanding of the framework that needed to be in place to help these people just got more and more refined. Um, And I tell people running has very predictable performance demands. It it should not be rocket science in terms of (laughs) trying to help a runner get back to consistent and healthy training. Mm. And you can't just understand you know, the performance demands, you need to understand who this person is in front of you and what their ecosystem is. Because if you don't know who that person is, you're probably not going to really be able to help them to the extent you otherwise would. Hmm. Amanda, you and I have talked about this stuff where it's, it's like, okay, well, here's what's going on with running. Tell me what, what else is going on in life right now? Give me a lens into the backdrop of life. And I feel like that doesn't always get addressed or it's not understood to the extent it needs to be. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking to that, that's kind of what led me to this whole topic suggestion with Sarah's. Because you saw me last spring, I was out in Colorado, I'd taken a fall on a trail run, and I had kind of a frustrating injury. And you know, you got me in, you, you, you treated me a little bit, you gave me a few exercises and sent me on my way. And I, it all resolved pretty darn quickly. But you did mention in there on that visit where you, by the way, Chris fit me in, on his lunch hour in the middle of doing continuing education with a group of PTs. So it was really, really lovely. But you mentioned ecosystem to me. You, you said, you know, what else is going on? And, and I think I had a lot of extraneous life stressors at the moment. And you're like, you have to think ecosystem. So I think you're unique again in that. I think it's hard to find a PT who really gets that and spells that out to a runner. You know, mm-hmm. we're all bad at like taking that medicine. So I don't know if you want to expound on that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think that 
people always think if they're dealing with pain or injury that it has to be something with their their running, their training, their running form. And over the years, and I think that I really developed an appreciation for this when I lived in New York City because all of these stressors are magnified. And I started to realize that these people, I would say, hey, tell me about how this pain or injury came to be or manifested. And they're like, well, it just sort of came out of the blue. And I would get to talking to them and I just started realizing there are a lot of other stressors at play. And I started to really understand that maybe their knee is just sensitized, you know, from having to climb all these subway stairs and be on their mm. feet all day long and waiting for the subway and so on and so forth. And I think that that really is important to, to sort of mitigate threat to someone's situation and for them to just embrace the totality of the situation, you know. There are a lot of stressors that enter the equation, and running is one of them, but there's a lot more that goes into it. And I've just, I've noticed this pattern when people, with myself as well, when I've gotten around muddy water with pain or injury, life is a little bit chaotic, right? There's a lot of moving parts, and I feel like the scales have gotten tipped in some way, shape, or form, and we'll never know the exact situation, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think that if we have an accurate working narrative and we learn to be a little bit more forgiving of ourselves and take the pressure off that that tends to bode very well in putting people on the right path to sort of reclaiming their running. Hmm. Interesting. So there are two common yet what I would see as opposing messages about running that running can relieve stress, but it also causes stress on the body. So can both things be true? Yeah. Well, I, I try and get everyone who I work with, just embracing rating of perceived exertion. And I also tell people like, if you're having a stressful day where you just get home and you're like to hell with the world, right? <laughs> That's not a time where you just throw caution to the wind and go out and put in a really intense effort. You know, it may feel good at the time, but I think that's when people can tip the scales. That's what I'm trying to get runners just to be somewhat sensible and say, Hey, just go for a walk that day. You know, yesterday, for example, I had a very busy day and I was like determined to ride my bike. And, you know, I look up and it's 4.30. My in-laws are coming over for dinner and I don't take a lot of days off. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take today off. <laughs> and I woke up this morning, feel a lot better, much more motivated to train. But I think people, that's such a tough thing and they're so reluctant to do that. And, um, you know, as the saying goes, if you're not taking planned rest, you're going to have to take forced rest. Mm. Mm -hmm. So do you think there's a stress tipping point for when exercise is beneficial and then when it goes into the making you take forced rest mode? Yeah, I mean, I always feel like if a workout is going to take more out of me than what it gives me in terms of creating a stimulus, but that's a judgment call, right? Mm hmm. And there's a lot of metrics that people use, you know, whether they're tracking heart rate, heart rate variability. I know with a lot of the people I work with, I'm on the phone all the time. I'm just like, hey, just checking in, seeing how things are going, you know, just to sort of see how they respond. Are they prompt in that response? If we're on a call, do they seem present? Do they seem distracted? Do they seem irascible? You know, hmm. these are the things that really have a big impact on me and my ability to help people as a coach. But, you know, a lot of these things are game time decisions. And I don't think people are aware that they could tip the scales. Yeah. I don't know if that gets at your question. Yeah. Do you feel that 
more advanced athletes are better at, at discerning that tipping point because, you know, I think if, if let's say a woman listening has took up running in the past 18 months or something like that, that there's a sense of, well, if I think that life is too much with me and I'm too stressed to get in a good workout, then there's the guilt of, well, am I just blowing it off because I'm lazy or because I don't have enough, you know, drive and, and motivation? You know, I think for newer athletes or resuming athletes, it can be hard to kind of trust your gut on when it's truly about the long term, keeping the long term health in mind versus being like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just lazy today or something like that. Yeah, and I, I do think rating of perceived exertion can be a, a a tricky thing to go off of for people who are perhaps a little bit more novice or green. Mm-hmm. I think all the best athletes in the world tend to put a lot of stock in rating of perceived exertion, mm-hmm. but they're also triangulating it with heart rate, pace, things mm-hmm. like that. So they're never looking at it in isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think with a lot of people, you know, if you are having a, a busy day or, you know, it's a stressful point in life or say like I woke up today and I wasn't feeling great, but I, I wanted to train, I would just go out for a 10 minute walk and sort of see how I felt. And then I would start running. And then based on my response, I would pivot if I was feeling like, wow, my heart rate's a little bit higher than what I would expect for this effort. Let's just keep this conversation pace today. I know I had some strides that I was planning to do or some intervals, Let's not worry about that. Let's just turn this into a conversation pace run, get a good night's sleep, get some food in me and regroup tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But with the amount of training that any endurance athlete is doing, you have to look at the collective body of work. I think people sweat missed days or they freak out over this stuff. And I know for myself, it's like I'm training 10 to 15 hours a week, one workout here or there. Uh, it's probably a blessing in disguise that I'm taking a, a lighter day or a day off if that happens. Um, but I think people get on the ba- the bandwagon and they also know that generally they, they feel pretty good after they finish exercising. Mm-hmm. And I think that that becomes very addictive, right? Sure. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about a different kind of stress, which is when we are stressing about our running we're worried about our performance and we're gunning for a PR. We might ignore a you know, little niggle here or there because we're really driving for that number on the clock. And how can we kind of mitigate that stress so that we're better serving our bodies and our performance? Yeah, good question. I want to make sure I understand this. So like the pressure that people put on themselves to perform? Right, which kind of becomes stress unto itself, right? Kind of back to what you were just talking about, like, you've got this plan written down and you're gunning for this PR and you're feeling run down and you're going to ignore it because you're gunning for the PR, right? And it becomes very stressful. And how can we bring that down so that just our goals don't become stress unto themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is like the sole reason why I have so many athletes. I, I work to get them connected with rating of perceived exertion. I do think, and this is called auto-regulatory training, is every day that you wake up, it could be a little bit of a different scenario. And I think that when you learn to connect with your body and you don't force things is when we make headway, you know? Mm. And I think everyone should be generally, if you're training consistently, you should be getting faster or you should be 
becoming more efficient if we stick with running. Like you should be able to execute a certain pace at perhaps a slightly lower heart rate. So I think as long as you're generally trending in that direction, which can take, you know, weeks, months, sometimes years, that you're probably on the right path. I think it's when you start getting pushback or you're going in the opposite direction that you really need to be vigilant in examining your training as well as these other ecosystem factors, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then also, I want to talk a little bit about seasons of life in terms of how we treat our running. So for instance, if you've just suffer, suffered the loss of a loved one, or you've lost a job, or you know, these are kind of some major stressors. Should you shift the focus of your running from racing to simply running as a source of stress release at that point? I think the, when you get into these situations, and there's been research published on this, the one paper from Otter at all speaks to this specifically, where if we have a negative life event that, you know, as the saying goes, stress equals stress equals stress. You've heard me say that countless times, mm-hmm. that that can negatively impact your running economy. So, and I, you know, I've worked with plenty of athletes, whether they're going through a tough time with a relationship, they lose a loved one, a pet. I give them the the impression, like, just let off the gas. You know, um, maybe some of these days you're slated to run, just go out for a walk, right? But when you're going through times like that, again, be more forgiving of yourself, but try to protect consistency of training. So I was talking with a runner this morning or consulting a runner this morning. And if she were going through a situation like that, she runs six days a week, maybe works up to like 60, 70 miles. I'd say just focus on running every other day, you know, and try to, again, let off the gas. And as time passes, then you can start to resume because I, I don't think people are always cognizant of the toll these things take on their body and they sort of, you know, adopt the David Goggins mind style, which I think is good in times. But also that's a situation where I do think you want to be a little bit more conservative because maybe people do, they take the opposite approach where they go out and they're like, I'm going to just train really hard. And that's how they cope with that situation. Mm-hmm. I generally don't tend to see that pan out very well. Mm. Interesting. How hard is it to talk your higher level athletes into walking instead of running? Uh, The people who I've been working with for a while, I think that they really find benefit and joy in the walking. I think it's a time for them to just be reflective and be out in their thoughts. Mm -hmm. I've never come back from a walk like, damn, that was a waste of time. Like, why did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that people feel like Oftentimes, runners feel defeated if they're not running. Yes. That's walking is not part of the plan. But the ones who I've been working with, they do embrace this, especially as just walking warm-ups and cool-downs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think it takes a certain type of ego to be like, hey, my neighbors might see me walking when they're used to seeing me running, but that's okay. That's where I am today, and maybe that's where I'll be again tomorrow or a week from now, but maybe it means I'm going to be able to keep running you know, well past my 60 or 70th birthday. Yeah. And I show all the runners, a woman who I mentioned, I consulted this morning, you know, I said, tell me you're going out for a run or you have a run on the schedule today. You put on your shoes, walk me through what that looks like. And she's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like I put on my (laughs) shoes and I run out the door and I'm like, yeah, precisely. Can I show you 
three people who I work with who are very high level runners. So I sit them down and show them my computer where it's like, here's what things look like on the back end. What do you notice with all of them? They're walking for 10 minutes to warm up and they're doing a 10 minute walking cool down. And I think when she started to see, okay, the caliber of runner that we were talking about, and she's a very competitive runner too, that she starts to maybe trust me a little bit more with that because everyone's time pressed, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that's going to fall by the wayside is the walking warm up and cool down. And I'm not someone with distance runners. I am not giving them anything else in terms of a warm up. If they want to do some a skip, some side shuffles, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm saying walk for five to 10 minutes and then, you know, break into a jog for five minutes and then reassess to say, how am I feeling? Check in with yourself. How, how willing and ready am I to push myself today? Mm-hmm. And I really try to promote autonomy with the athletes. I tell them you're in the driver's seat. I want to challenge you a little bit in terms of how you're conceptualizing this workout and your training, but at day's end, I want them to be the one who takes ownership of their training and makes these decisions. Mm-hmm. So what do we think about yard work as a cool down then? I have been, (laughs) I live here in Portland, Oregon, where it still very much still feels like fall. And I'm all about raking or kind of uh, clearing out, you know, dead stuff in the garden when I get home for my run. Is that, am I kidding myself that I think that that can be a stand in for instead of walking for 10 minutes? Uh, Well, I would say that it's better than running and then just sitting on the sofa. You know, mm-hmm. okay. but mm-hmm. I think that that that's another workload. So when mm-hmm. someone's like, Hey, I, I like to do some gardening. I'd be like, pull up a chair. Tell me exactly what you're doing. Cause I would want to know <laughs> <laughs> because if someone's dealing with kneecap pain or what we call patellofemoral pain and they're finishing a run and then they're on all mm-hmm. fours weeding and I'm mm-hmm. not aware of that. Well, that could be something that is maybe contributing to the persistence of their, their situation or their symptoms. Mm-hmm. So when people tell me something like that, I just start asking a lot of questions because otherwise I'm totally naive to the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Sure. That that question, of course, was not on the script. I just uh, came to me as I, <laughs> there were a lot of dead peonies that needed to be cut back in the yard today. <laughs> not on all fours. <laughs> but that's what a day where, you know, if you're planning to do some strength training, I would say, hey, if you're going to garden, it's a little bit more of an elaborate project. Just don't worry about your strength training that day. Or mm-hmm. you can wait four to six hours, let your body sort of recover a little bit and then reassess to see like, you know, do I feel up for it today? Or do we just mm-hmm. punt to tomorrow if that works for your schedule? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was dry when I got back from my run. So that's why I was like, okay, uh, that might not be the case for the rest of the week. So looking like a true, true Northwesterner. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Seize the, the <laughs> moment. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear from the brands that support us. We'll be back shortly with answers from questions from our Facebook community. Stay with us. As Dimity often says, we love a good BOGO, a buy one, get one. Ghost sleeves are like that. They're the only two-in-one sleeves that combine the power of kinesiology tape with compression sleeves. Think K-tier rock tape, but instead of requiring specialized knowledge to apply the strips, Go Sleeves designed a sleeve that incorporates strategically placed strips on the inside of a reusable sleeve to support your key ligaments, muscles, and joints. The built-in kinesiology works just like as if you were taped up. 
By lifting and stretching the skin to increase recuperating blood and lymphatic flow, Ghost Leaves activates your body's natural ability to reduce lactic acid buildup and speed up recovery. Ghost Leaves makes models of sleeves for your knee, elbow, and calf. Heather, one of our brand ambassadors, got great help from a Ghost Leaves knee sleeves. Here's her words. After a year of being sidelined, I returned to running only to get a new pain on the outer backside of my knee. The Ghost Sleeve knee compression sleeve has kept the pain at bay. It's amazing how it can support and compress, yet not restrict. I'm surprised by how comfortable it is. In addition to the physical support, it has helped ease my constant worry of recurring pain. I'm now not as worried that each step is leading me closer to reoccurring pain. Other Bammer Bassers have enjoyed success with Ghost Sleeves calf sleeves, and I don't step onto the pickleball court without my Ghost Sleeves elbow strap. It completely cleared up my elbow tendonitis. For $25 off your first order of any sleeves, use code AMR25 at GhostSleeves.com. That's AMR25 at GhostSleeves.com. G-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-S.com and code AMR25. Looking for an efficient workout that spares you the pounding of running while efficiently working your full body? I realize I sound a bit like an infomercial, but this is for real. Hydro is a state-of-the-art at-home rowing machine that delivers the ultimate full-body workout, working 86% of your muscles, including arms, legs, and your entire core. A super-effective workout takes just 20 minutes and is low-impact, making it an ideal cross-training cardio option for us runners. Hydro workouts are taught by Olympians and world-class athletes who are great coaches for folks of all fitness levels. The workouts are transporting. They're filmed outside all over the world. As a former collegiate and master's rower, I love that the Hydro has a patented technology that recreates the feeling of rowing on the water. It means while the workout is easy on my joints and ligaments, the motion also feels smooth and flowing. A lovely complement to running and perfect for helping avoid overuse injuries. With your order, you'll get a free standard shipping, a 30-day risk-free trial, and a one-year warranty. Join the growing rowing community at Hydro. To save up to $500 off your Hydro today, go to hydro.com and use code AMR at checkout. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W dot com with code AMR to save up to $500 on your Hydro. Hydro.com with code AMR. So Sarah asked folks in our Facebook community for some questions, and we're going to be posing a few of those to Chris. Jana would like to know, why is it that I feel stressed out, more and more sore all the time now that I'm menopausal? I'm not doing more or harder workouts than I was prior to menopause. If anything, I'm going easier. How do I break the cycle of feeling stressed and sore? Oh, tricky question. And and I'll say that I see such variability, and I work with a bunch of perimenopausal women. My main goal, as I touched on earlier, is anything for consistency to protect consistency of training. You know, but I would also say be very loose with your training too. If you feel like, you know, you got a terrible night's sleep to just pivot, go out for a walk the next day. You know, sort of adopting the mentality of like use your energy when you have it. And when you don't, don't hesitate to pivot. This is a really tricky population to work with because their subjective reports and some of their symptoms can just be all over the place mm-hmm. for no rhyme or reason, you know. And I would also suggest I connect a lot of the women I work with with a registered dietitian to make sure that we just sort of 
leave no stone unturned. There's a woman who I work with who's a very competitive uh, master's level triathlete. And she, at the recommendation of the RD that she consulted, ended up connecting with a physician who put her on hormone replacement therapy. And she said that just was like flipping a switch. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, when you're going through a situation like this, and this is not my professional uh, area of expertise, but Mm -hmm. I just know when things are out of my domain and I connect those people with practitioners who I think would be able to, to shed some light on their situation or offer up some uh, suggestions in terms of how to improve things. Okay. Well, we have another master's athlete age question. This one's from Maggie. She says she's been seeing a lot of stuff about women over 40 are, it's not recommended to do long cardio sessions because of the increase of stress and cortisol levels. And so Maggie wants to know if there's any validity to this because she loves long cardio. I would say as long as she's not getting pushback. I think that there's a lot of research coming out that's just talking about, you know, how our bones respond to load. So I'm always trying to get a little bit more of a refined understanding of like, you know, who is this athlete in front of me? What's their bone health? Are they dealing with any soft tissue injuries or niggles? If she's tolerant of it, the last thing I would ever do is discourage someone from being active. You know, (laughs) I do think that strength training as well as some balance work is very important, uh, as well as fueling in and around activity. But I would say that if she's tolerant of the workloads and she's not getting pushed back in, in terms of pain or injury, that I also wouldn't discourage her because to me that sort of creates a what we call a nocebo around her her situation. What's a nocebo? It's basically, uh, for ease of explanation, throwaway comments that people cling to that are largely unhelpful and could even be detrimental. Um, mm. What I would not want to do is for her to start dialing things back because she's clinged on to this notion that maybe the long course stuff isn't necessarily or more long distance endurance training isn't necessarily in her best interest. I always, I want to know where the athlete is coming from, how they're handling their training intensity distribution. Are they tolerant of consistent training before I would start basically, you know, throwing any blanket recommendations like that at someone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Susan would like to know how does she keep stress from settling into her neck and shoulders or how can she relieve it when that happens? Yeah, great question. I think that I remember when I was in New York, just sitting on the subway, and I I would see a lot of other passengers, largely women who are just incessantly like stretching, like rubbing their shoulders, stretching their neck. And I would consult a lot of people who would who would have that exact complaint or set of complaints. And surprisingly, I would put them on a very simple loading or resistance training program. So um, I can actually send this to you to share it with folks in the show notes. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. A simple row, a standing shoulder extension with some light tubing, um, a push-up hold or a plank hold, as well as like some farmer marches and maybe some simple like posterior shoulder work. But I think that people are always like, oh, if I strengthen, things are just going to get tighter. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. the times you start building fatigue resistance in a lot of these muscles 
And people start to realize, wow, like things are feeling a lot better as they perform those with any degree of consistency. You know, so 30 second holds, nothing fancy, just getting some load in the system. Hmm. Because, you know, for whatever reason, people do carry a lot of stress in in that shoulder neck region. Mm -hmm. I used to get that all the time from coaches. I was a collegiate rower and a master's rower. And I remember the coaches being like, Sarah, drop your shoulders from around your ears. I'm like, I don't feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then whenever I get a massage, the massage therapist is always like, oh, here's the spot we're going to work on. It's, it's rough. So, so we have kind of what I think is a related question from Christine. She says, going back to social media, she says she's seen so many Instagram ads for somatic workouts, and she'd like to know what those are and if they're effective. I don't think I even know what they are. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) I've never heard of those. That's interesting. Oh, I had to Google it to see what it was. And it seems like it's exercises for neck and shoulders. So I don't know. But what were you going to say, Chris? Oh, I I think that a lot of this stuff is just basically it's different approaches to exercises packaged in a way where you throw a catchy phrase or term or descriptor on Mm -hmm. and it gets people to open their wallet. You know, I'm very much a minimalist with all this stuff. So I think just a a simple strength program, um, nothing fancy that checks the major boxes and I'll bite off Dan John here, who's a world-class coach person, Fulbright scholar, religious Mm -hmm. studies teacher. Um, you know, he coined the fundamental human movements, which are pushing, pulling, hinging, squatting, carrying, and doing some groundwork. So I think that if your program is checking those boxes, a lot of good's going to happen. And I think with some of this stuff, double leg strengthening exercises, single leg stuff, some balance work, that's what goes into a good program. I, I put out all these videos on Instagram, which is me sort of just playing or exploring movement. But I'll tell you what, I've really whittled this down. When people consult me, I'm giving them a handful of exercises. And I'm just saying, look, just get these in. I don't care if you do them all at once. I don't care if you break them up throughout the day. My goal is for you to just get them in with some consistency because I know a lot of good's likely to happen. Mm -hmm. So I would tell her to save her money. But by the same token, if you ever find something that works for you, have at it, you know, um, the reasons or mechanisms by which it's working, we may never know. But, you know, just movement and something that you enjoy that maybe you do in the midst of some other people or there's a communal aspect to it, I think is really invaluable, especially post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So agree. And I also agree. I do encourage everyone to go to Chris's Instagram account because he's got just some really great stuff on there. And it is all part of my day-to-day routine too. And, and like you said, it's, it doesn't take much time at all. It's just, you know, throw it in there a little bit here and there, and it really goes a long way. Nice. Nice. I've made a note in all caps link to Chris's Instagram account. So I will do that in the show notes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can I say one other thing? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. So I'm sitting in here, I'm sitting in my garage where I have a home office and I have a home gym. I work in 25 to 30 minute blocks. And then at the end of each block, I stand up and do two sets of an exercise, whether that's a push up hold, whether that's a squat, whether it's a toe tap, a row. 
And I just do that all day long. And I, I've never felt better, you know, so that's just a Pomodoro technique. So for people who are working at home, that's such a, just a simple, practical way to get this stuff in. And I think that you're going to be that much more productive with whatever task is, is on your plate or that you're working on. So I feel like people have this tendency to compartmentalize things and they may wait till the end of the day and then it just doesn't get done. We use the term movement snacks in describing Mm -hmm. sort of this approach to training, but it's really just a very simple, actionable way to handle it. Nice. Yeah. So Lisa has a question. She says, I've noticed that when I lay down to sleep, I am so tense. I try relaxing my body, but in a few minutes, my neck and shoulders are tight again. I really struggle to stay relaxed. When I wake up in the morning, I never feel rested. How can I get my body to relax and stay relaxed? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of questions. If I have someone who consults me and they tell me like, I I go to lie down at night and I just, I feel like my whole body's tense and I can't fall asleep. My first question is, why do you think that you're dealing with that kind of experience or why are you dealing with this tenseness, you know? Because I wouldn't really, I, I never want to pretend like I have some mystical, magical approach. So with someone like that, I would say, what are the, some of the thoughts that are running through your mind when you're lying down at night? What's your wind down routine? You know, what's been your activity throughout the day? You know, I laugh about this in, in the sense that, you know, we have this Pomeranian who is just a ball of energy, right? <laughs> and if she does not get a few walks a day, she is just tearing around the house. Like we had to put her in her cage last night just because she was storming around the house, jumping on and off the bed. Like she just wouldn't chill, you know? So I always want to really make sure I understand what someone's daily routine and their rhythms are as well as like, are there any specific stressors that that person is experiencing that, that may be engendering this tenseness? Um, Because I don't think you can take necessarily a blanket approach. Could you do some simple breathing exercises just using something like the breathing app, which is just like it shows a balloon where it's like a timed tempo breathe in and out. I think that stuff can be helpful to just sort of wind down your system. But I would also be really troubleshooting with her to say, you know, what do you think you need to do to improve this situation? What are some of the things that you think are contributing or engendering this situation in the first place, you know, Mm. because I think that conversation would start to organically unfold and you may start getting a better lens into what levers to pull in her specific situation. Mm -hmm. Hearing you talk, Chris, it makes me think that a good PT also is part mental health professional (laughs) and particularly when it comes to stress and makes me wonder how people can find a good PT you know, not everybody lives in Seattle and can't be visiting you. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think that, you know, the main thing is just when you connect with, regardless of really what profession someone's in, that they're present, that they're engaged, that they're taking an active interest in your situation, that they're asking questions. You know, I get a lot of questions posed to me and I say, I I wouldn't know where to begin because I don't know who you are as a person, uh, nor do I fully understand what your complaints are. Or can I help you address them until I know who you are as a person? And I never, like when I connect with people, you'll never see my computer out. You'll never see me jotting notes down. I need to be focused on that conversation. Mm. Because 
people know the solution and my goal is to help them, it's to sort of unearth the plan from them. You know, there's a classic Mm -hmm. principle in motivational interviewing or therapeutic alliances. People are going to be much more convinced by what they hear themselves say than someone barking orders at them. You know, Mm. so I always just pose that question. I mean, you're a smart person. What do you think you need to do to improve your situation or get on the other side of it? Now, I may subtly course correct them if they, (laughs) you know, if someone says I was on a call with a guy today and he's like, oh, this Achilles issue. I just I feel like I just need to rest it for a week. And I'm like, well, you just mentioned that you have been resting it for, you know, relative rest. And that's not improving it because we do have science to show that these tendons lose stiffness and they go through a deconditioning process. So I will course correct people sometimes or make sure they have an accurate understanding of their situation. But I feel like people in healthcare, especially it's very rushed. People are so quick to just make sure that they can document the treatment session and then move Mm -hmm. on to the next client or patient. Um, And all of these things are very complex problems, right? Mm -hmm. And my role is not to ever fix someone. It's to troubleshoot with them, to ask them questions, to get them to reflect or maybe think about something that they weren't aware of. Mm. And that tends to, to work very well. And most of the time we shift people. The goal is never to just basically give someone some mystical, magical fix. That's not reality. It's to move them from maybe one, or, one standard deviation to the next, you know, or to push them in that right direction without medicalizing them unless there's a, mm-hmm. a reason to do so. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we got two questions that are related. One's from a, a different Sarah and she asks, are any of the gadgets that measure stress in various ways helpful? She said she recently got a whoop strap and is trying to figure out what she should pay attention to, if anything. And Charlotte asked, she says, I know I'm stressed, but my Garmin thinks I'm in extreme stress most of the day. How much importance should we place on those kinds of metrics? And how are they measured? I think that these can serve as proxies, but and a lot of them are going off of heart rate variability. So if you have a whoop band, if you have an aura ring, um, if you're using the HRV, which is basically an app that uses a light sensor, I think that these are things that can help you identify trends and patterns. I would not rely on them solely to make your decisions. But, you know, if I ask an athlete, just say, hey, just checking in, how's it going today? And they're like, I feel pretty good, right? Like, I'm, I feel ready to get after it. That, that's very meaningful to me, you know? Even if their device or gadget may suggest, hey, you should probably chill today. Well, let's start the workout. Let's stick with the plan. If there are some intervals on the schedule, let's see how you do. So I, I think that you can plug those in or factor them in. I'm always curious. I always, with the, the athletes I work with, I say, what kind of data interests you or do you put stock in any metrics that you found help you over the course of time? I don't use any of these, these devices. I know a lot of coaches who put a lot of stock in them. I think the main thing is they're there to perhaps serve as a system of checks and balances, but I'm really looking for trends with data like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, any final thoughts on stress that you want to share with us, Chris, that you think maybe we haven't touched on? Nothing that really jumps out. You know, I, I think that Aaliyah Crum is a, an incredible thinker and researcher in this space. 
And I think that understanding that stress is a, a very powerful thing. And this can be eustress use, use or distress. And I think that it's important to differentiate those. But I would encourage people to check out, I just finished um, reading one of her passages in the Harvard Business Review. They basically pulled together some essays from a bunch of folks who I've read. I've read their their other work, but it sort of just was a sort of like a nice, uh, I get this as a gift for a lot of athletes, just to a lot of times get them fired up and heading into races where they're motivated to perform. Because a lot of people are, they, they get very antsy around racing. You know, there are people who just really melt down going into a race and that problem is often between their ears, Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I would encourage people to check out any of her work, her Ted talks. Mm. She's brilliant. Mm, great. Well, you yourself, Chris have been brilliant. So thank you for sharing with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I love hopping on a call and I hope it's well received by your listeners. Good. And it's time for you to stand up for one of your, um, movement snacks. We've kept you, kept you too long. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm off to ride my bike for 90 minutes, go and lift and sit in a steam room and then read on bone stress injuries. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it sounds like a good afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris. See you, Chris. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, he was a great find. Thank you, Amanda. You're welcome. And I, I just have to tell everyone that I found him through my PT several years back and I feel so fortunate because I have a PT who practices in the same model that Chris does. And mm. I mean, it's been life-changing for me working with him, you know, for the past, I don't know, seven, eight years Yeah, compared to, you know, years past. So, yeah. yeah. And this is your one back in Maryland. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. They're just really bright guys with different approaches. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I adore, adore my physical therapist, Amy. So um, when you yeah. find a good one, you just feel like you got the golden ticket. I totally. Yeah. All right. Well, please rate our podcast on iTunes and write a quick, hopefully glowing review. And given the way iTunes works, it's where the majority of people find their podcasts and getting those reviews really helps podcasts like ours find new listeners as well as listeners find new podcasts. So it's a two-way street. And if you're not a writer review kind of gal, uh, we recently learned that the majority of listeners find out about our podcasts via word of mouth. So please tell a few friends about our show, post on Facebook, uh, recommend it to women in your running group or people you work with, your neighbors, whoever. Spread the word far and wide, please, please, about the Another Mother Runner podcasts. I really appreciate it. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medor from Fire on the Bluff. Yeah. Now I oh, think he's Chris. frozen. Yeah. Now I think he's frozen. I think he is. He's <laughs> 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 got a very intense look on it. <laughs> he's frozen on his face. <laughs> and I have to sneeze. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Go ahead, Chris.